Welcome to this week's edition of the Magic Hour here at the Forum Club here at the Athletic LA. Brian Kamenetsky with Andy Kamenetsky. And we got you know a few things to talk about this week, Andy. The, the Lakers have a schedule in Orlando. We're going to probably, I think this week, get a fuller picture of who will be on the team when they actually execute that schedule. So a couple of the big things we'll be talking about this week. Some news also regarding the podcast that we'll uh, get into at the end of the show. Uh, but let's start with the uh, with the schedule. The NBA released this week the eight games that every team, every of the twenty, each of the twenty two teams will be playing. And Andy, the Lakers have, by most accounts, whether you're talking about our John Hollinger or John Schumann at NBA.com, really all the Johns are in consensus here. The Lakers have a tough schedule. They'll open on the thirtieth, July thirtieth, against the Clippers. They play Toronto, Utah, Oklahoma City, Houston, Indiana. Denver, and then Sacramento is the last game on the 13th of August. So that's eight games in about two weeks, all of which are against good teams. Initially, you look at it and you're like, damn, that doesn't seem fair. Especially when you take a look at the two and three seeds that are the relatively closest to the Lakers. The Lakers have a five and a half game lead over the Clippers and seven over Denver. But then you look at the Clippers schedule and it is considerably easier than the Lakers. And Denver's is not a cakewalk schedule. But it is also But it's easier. It's one of those things that you kind of, as a Lakers fan, you look at it and you go, well, how the hell did that happen? Doesn't well, the answer fair. is because the league hates the Lakers. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty much the open-ended answer for every question of how did this happen to the Lakers, Brian. It's the league is conspiring against its most popular, most money-generating team. Yes, which as it is does. good business. As much as I love to engage in conspiracy theories regarding... But not as much sports. as I do, Brian. No, you, this is really your passion. When it comes to conspiracy theories that deal with the Lakers, I think it's very important to always remember that the conspiracy always favors the Lakers. It never <laughs> works against... Like, if you're going to construct a plausible conspiracy theory surrounding the Los Angeles. I know fans hate to do this because it's much more fun to pretend that the world is aligned against your team than with it. But if you're going to uh, construct a plausible conspiracy theory around the Lakers, you have to remember it's got to work in their favor. By the way, what demonstrates what you're talking about, because as much as I will revel in the idea of my team as a Laker fan getting screwed by the powers that be, right. I know you're right. The reason we know this is the greatest evidence we've ever seen of the Lakers actually getting screwed in basketball reasons, hashtag never forget. It literally took the entire league, led by Dan Gilbert, conspiring against the Lakers. Like It took like a group effort from around the league and the league offices feeling in some ways like they had to do something as opposed to something independently happening on behalf of the league, even taking into account that David Stern was acting as the de facto commissioner slash owner of the Hornets. Right. It still took a lot of force to uh, create the one true screwing of the Lakers that we saw. So if you go back and you look at it, the rules that the league was using to figure all this out, the first thing is who was on your schedule originally? Who was already there? And so when you go and you look at what the Lakers had on their schedule, part of the reason the Lakers, statistically speaking, had what was considered to be kind of an easy schedule down the stretch is because they played Charlotte, Detroit, Cleveland, Minnesota twice. They played Golden State. They played Chicago. Well, none of those teams, Andy, are invited to the bubble. So you can't play them anymore. They also played Washington. They also played Phoenix. Well, Washington, not a lot of cross 
conference matchups, some, but not a lot. Yeah, as you see, you know, Indiana and Toronto. But all of these teams that they're playing were teams that were left on their schedule. They were going to play all, it's not like the NBA assigned them the Jazz and they didn't have a game against them or the Clippers and they didn't have a game. Like, this is what was left they on their schedule. They had played already both of their games against the Raptors and then they just got a third. Right. There was some wheat in their 19 remaining games and just a ton of chaff. And what the Orlando tournament did was remove the chaff. And it turns out the wheat sort of sucks. Like, the wheat is no good here. Wheat, in this case, makes it seem uh, less delicious. But actually, the Lakers are, are better off playing the better teams because with that five-and-a-half game lead, statistically speaking, particularly when you consider how careful the Clippers are with their stars and with their players in this accelerated schedule, the odds of them falling out of the number one seed, it's not zero, but it's damn, damn near it. Without losing the, the possibility of falling out of the number one seed and because gaining the overall number one by passing Milwaukee is meaningless now, none of this matters. Like how hard their schedule is just doesn't matter anymore because they're not going anywhere. I mean, but it does matter in the sense that the point of having these eight games before you go straight into the playoffs is to try to get teams back up to speed in terms of playing basketball after being off for three and a half months. And you want to have a tangible purpose to these things. And the Lakers, I think, are actually being greatly advantaged by being forced to play against teams that, assuming we all pick up relatively where we left off, or if nothing else, sort of in concert to where you were, like it's all relative. All we have right now is this the assumption that a team right. that was good before is right. going to be good now so with running, some, you know, adjustments. Looking at it through that prism, if you're going to make that assumption um, along, along the lines of the teams that are all there, the Lakers are really benefited by having to play a tough slate of teams because I think it's going to do the most for them, getting them back up to playing basketball, evaluating where they are, trying to figure out how they're going to do this without Avery Bradley, who was a key part of their rotation, mm-hmm. and seeing what that looks like. And potentially without Dwight Howard, which will, I, I, reports uh, this weekend indicate that you know by July 1st, he'll, he'll make a decision as to whether or not he's going to play. Right. So, I mean, the, the Lakers are going to have things to figure out. And as a team with championship expectations, and until we see that they don't look like they did before everything got suspended, that's the way I'm going to treat them. I think they're much better off actually getting challenged and getting like a real sense of what they look like. Because if you look at the Clippers, for example, their schedule is the Lakers, the Pelicans, Phoenix, Dallas, Portland, Brooklyn, Denver, OKC. They're not going to really come out of that with as good of an idea of how they're playing, particularly, like you said, Brian, if they're in any way still careful with Kawhi Leonard, careful with Paul George. If you the, yeah, well, I, I don't know. I mean, they might. Oh, be I mean, come on. I realize you don't know, but we all kind of. I mean, they're going to be because the Clippers really can't. They could. I mean, I guess some of it depends on the pressure that's put on them and some of the other games, and we'll get to that. Like how the Western Conference could shake out. The Clippers are, are pretty locked into a number two or a three, which basically means they stay on the other side of the bracket from the Lakers, which is, I'm sure, what they're hoping to do. So as long as it doesn't look like they could fall down to the four, they don't have a lot of incentive no, I, to I'm, go. What I'm saying is... I, no, I'm, just, I'm, I'm more just saying pre- as, as they explanation. Have like a strong, if they have a strong preference, though, in terms of six versus seven with that sure. matchup, th- then they might use less kid gloves with Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. Or if those guys are just like, we're good. We've had three and a half months off. We're about to start the playoffs. We want to treat this 
like we would in the playoffs, which is, you know, those guys are not going to take games off in the playoffs. Load management. <laughs> right. So, I mean, they're not going to, Kawhi Leonard is not going to be load managed during the playoffs. So, there is always that chance that the Clippers are going no, to. I understand, I understand what you're saying. Absolutely. I understand. But either way, I, I think the Lakers, their time is actually more purposeful with a harder schedule. So ultimately, I think this is good. This is a positive yeah. for them. It really it leaves them with every option. Like if they want to play something like it's a playoff game, put everything out there, put all their rotation, like they can do that. If they want to rest everyone, they can do that. If Anthony Davis wakes up and feels like his knee is just the tiniest bit wiggly or something, like they can sit him. Like whatever they need to do, they can do without any real consequence. And like you said, integrating lineups and get it figure out what do you have in Dion waiters what do you have in presumably jr smith you know if you want to find out if those guys can help you in the playoffs you need to play them over these eight games if these eight games were significant for seeding then you would be limited in how much you could do this so i think the lakers once again the league has done them a favor we think that the league is always against them in this case no once again the league has done them well, a solid the league, by though, giving them the, the league, hardest though, schedule still owes them after, yes. ha- after basketball reasons, hashtag never forget, it's not enough that they rigged the, the lottery three or four years in a row to keep giving them number two, two picks, picks overall. Despite the Lakers trying desperately to avoid getting into the lottery, league still owed them. Think about I'm how concerned. good this team would be if it had Chris Paul on it. Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Chris Paul. That's, that's, that's unbeatable, started. Andy. Come on. And no, yes, I'm 100% – I, I, you know, don't give me this, like, you know, a lot could have happened between now and then BS. Chris mm-hmm. Paul will be on this team. Absolutely. Dominating. Like, he's I dominated mean, this year for the Thunder. Probably six rings for Kobe. Maybe seven. Twelve. Never, tear, never tears his Achilles. Never kill, tears his Achilles. He's got at least 13 rings. So, <laughs> Which is mathematically impossible. They would have still. given him some rings <laughs> retroactively. Smush you know what? Like, you know what? Smush Parker, that was not fair to you. Here's another um, ring. You had here's a, a ring, for, here's a ring for having to play with Smush Parker and <laughs> Vlad Rodmanovich, you know, snowboarding at when I he's kinda, not supposed to. I, I kind of feel like Kobe deserved it. I agree. And so there's no question this is how it would have worked out. The other part that I think is going to be fascinating just for, as a basketball player is like how the rest of the Western Conference shakes out. And then these, these calculations you mentioned in any like, it's almost impossible to know how any of these teams are going to be playing. Houston, in theory, should be playing a little bit better only because Harden and Westbrook are going to be healthy and fresh. But that team didn't really have a chance to figure out what it was before the pandemic, and you don't get a lot of time during this. The flip side is a team like Utah, which had some really good stretches uh, despite seeming kind of a little bit disappointing. They've lost Boyan Bogdanovich, and so you like that's a huge factor for their team. We're not going to get a feel for what these teams are like. It, it, the layoff is longer than a typical offseason, so trying to see what the rest of the conference lays out of, because I think, Andy, all six teams that are bunched there between two and seven are really good, or they yeah. just have the potential to be really good. Even the potential eight seeds, like the, if you look at the ones that I think are most likely, which would either be New Orleans, Memphis, the current eight seed, or right. Portland getting their pieces back and Yusef Nurkic and Zach Collins really immediately takes them back to the form we saw last year when they got to the Western Conference Finals. Except you know, as that- our friend George Sedano would point out, they have Hassan Whiteside on their team. And if you have Hassan Whiteside, you cannot win. You can't win the thing, but you might just be able to win enough to get an eight seed 
then get eliminated. He's William but, H. George thinks that Whiteside is William H. Macy in the cooler. <laughs> just, that's just what, <laughs> that's what Hassan Whiteside is. But the point being, though, like, those are pretty good eight seeds. Like, if those are your eight seeds, it's pretty oh, safe sure. to say the enti- you know, that entire side of the bracket's pretty good. You're right. I mean, there, there's nobody really that you should be underestimating. Like, I, you and I have been saying this for a while, but a team like the Thunder – do I think they can win the whole thing? No. No. I, I, they're, they're too top-heavy, I think, ultimately, to, to make that type of run. But they're really good. They were playing extremely well before the season got suspended. Chris Paul has had a, not just a phenomenal season, but a phenomenal fourth quarter season. Right. Top, probably a top five MVP guy. Wouldn't you Chris agree Paul? in the voting this year? Top, top five, seven? type six, something like I mean, that. He's been, right. Shea Gilgis Alexander's really, really good as a two way player. You know, I think a budding all star type player. Dennis Schroeder, who I'm not a big fan of, but I got to be fair, has had a terrific season and they, they've been very good as a three guard set. Danilo Gallinari is a pain in the ass to guard, he gets guys in foul trouble. Steven Adams is, if nothing else, he can set monster screens and get guys open. And that team's physical. Like, you're not going to want to play against them. Like, they're going to be a hassle to go up against, even if you eventually eliminate them. You're going to feel it in your body along that process. You've been on Denver Island forever. Yeah. Like you you believed in them for a long they time. They were fading a little bit. Uh, they could, uh, Coming out of the All-Star break, they couldn't get their defense really had, had really started to fade, relatively speaking, to what it was earlier in the year. But, it, like, when they're playing well, they're really good. And again, not a team I think necessarily could beat the Clippers and the Lakers and the Bucks to win a title, but I think they could beat one of those teams if you're not careful. Have you heard some people express concern that Jokic has lost too much weight? Skinny Jokic, I don't know. Like the only thing that everybody's basing it on is like one picture coming out of Serbia. But the, I mean, this is interesting. Like I saw today, Rudy Gobert, uh, I mean, and in fairness, I'm one of those guys in this particular case who just looked at the headline and didn't read the article. But mm. Gobert saying that he was still feeling the impact of COVID. That, to me, is a fascinating develop, uh, development, as I use that word for the fourth time, I believe, in today's podcast. If Gobert is still feeling it, first of all, what does that mean for Jokic? I don't know how symptomatic he was. Like, Gobert got sick, like he talked about. It. He got, like, legit sick, like, don't play around with this. I don't know what kind of symptoms Jokic has had. But... Other players are going to look at it and be like, dude, that guy had COVID in March and he's still feeling it and whatever. Like, I don't want to be getting that. Like, maybe I'll stay home. It's not worth risking or whatever it might be. What Gobert's announcement could have. But like, does Jokic come back 100% without feeling any after effects? Like, all of these questions become kind of a thing. But in theory, that becomes something to, you know, like – He's in great shape. He's thin. He's an even more dynamic version of Nikola Jokic. I don't want to play that. I don't know. But I mean, but the flip side of it could be the version of Nikola Jokic that can't use his size as effectively as he had before. Like, it's just, it's, remember like Mark Gasol lost a bunch of weight like a couple years ago and we weren't quite sure how that was going to end up looking. Like, it's always interesting just to see when guys reshape their body, just sort of the, the effects of that. You know, years ago, Tim Duncan. Remember, he lost a ton of weight. I think he spent like an entire offseason swimming or something. But like, you know, he came didn't, back. didn't stop. Slept <laughs> in the water. <laughs> but, you know, I remember uh, reemerged like this really, by his standards, slender body. And he, he was sort of a different player. So it's just, if nothing else, it's just going to be interesting to see this with Jokic because, you know, on one hand, Jokic has, you know, he's had detractors over his conditioning throughout the course of his career. But there's also no denying that that size at times 
has made him exceptionally difficult to guard because he's so skilled at that size, like, you know, with that literal bulk. So I have nothing else. Curious to see what it looks like. So the Western Conference is going to be a lot of fun to watch. We mentioned Avery Bradley. Have we talked about the possibility of J.R. Smith on this? I don't remember. No, I don't believe we have. So presumably J.R. Smith is going to, quote unquote, replace Avery Bradley on the roster. Like, that's what's going to happen. He's going to replace him on the roster. He's not going to replace him on the floor. On the floor, wouldn't you agree, Andy, it's going to be Alex Caruso and KCP and you know, maybe a little Quinn Cook in there and, you know, more minutes for Danny Green. And, like, they're going to mix and match with what they have. If you think that J.R. Smith is going to absorb some of that Avery Bradley time, that's probably both wrong and definitely frightening. Yeah, I mean, I I would say that unless J.R. Smith has just really used this offseason to stay in, you know, frankly, better shape you know, not that conditioning was ever an issue for JR, but I mean, just overall better basketball shape, better basketball results. The last full season he had in the NBA, he wasn't particularly good. It's the last couple full seasons. He has not been a productive NBA player in a while. And he hasn't even been in him. Technically speaking, he played in the 2018-2019 season, 11 games. He hasn't right. even been an NBA player right. for a couple would, seasons. Either something miraculous would have to happen for JR Smith or I guess more realistic and the more alarming, KCP, Alex Caruso, Quinn Cook, Rondo to some degree, Danny Green, like basically everybody on this team that is a guard would have to be struggling all at the same time. And Dion yeah. Waiters would just emerge as a terrible fit. Well, tell, it we tells have, we you, haven't seen Waiters. It tells you what you think the Lakers think is going to happen with those minutes that the person that they – are rumored to be going to get isn't a point guard. I think that is instructive. Like when you talk about Avery Bradley and what his role is on the team, like they're uh, not. Tr- I, I don't agree with you there because Avery Bradley doesn't work like a point guard. That's my point. Is like with like they they don't think they need a guard there. The stuff where you need a guard, they're gonna have a guard do. I don't understand your point. Yeah, it might not be a very clear one or a good one. Now that I'm sort of talking my way well, through it's, it. I, I, can I rephrase? It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, I mean, look, here's point. the thing. <laughs> I have no idea what the bleep you're talking here's about. Here's the thing. Confidence. <laughs> <laughs> what I've learned, Andy, we've, we're not rookies. We're not new at this. Get out there and say what you're saying boldly <laughs> and with confidence. And damn it, you can lead people your way. How many words into that were you before you realized it made no sense? <laughs> More than I should have been. <laughs> My point is Avery Bradley's not a point guard. I'm like, so they don't need a point guard to replace him. <laughs> right. And J.R. Smith isn't one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so, I mean, again, Brian, I have been is. proven <laughs> correct. <laughs> We're good. Move on. <laughs> I feel like the listeners Andy, learned a lot from this. They did. And you know what they learned? <laughs> that it, confidence hey, yeah. you walk into your you know, you look your boss dead in the eye and confidently ask ask him or her for a raise and when they ask you why you just start talking but when you do it talk with confidence and you're walking out of there with more money that is my gift to you but the dwight howard thing that's kind of interesting too he's like, also what? not a point guard brian if he doesn't play they're probably not going to be looking for a point guard to replace him either but they might. But they might. 
Well, we've seen the footage of Dwight shooting three-pointers. They might need yeah. an outside shooter, if nothing else. Supposedly, uh, reportedly, he is going to make that a decision by July 1st. Do you think he's going to play? I mean, there's – I hate to speculate, and I, and I certainly would respect his decision if he doesn't. I'm inclined to think he's not going to play for two reasons. First of all, I think Avery Bradley opting not to play opens that door for Dwight, like if he was concerned about being the one guy on the team. B, Dwight has some serious issues going on with his family. I mean, beyond the fact that Dwight has been one of the more vocal voices in terms of wanting to use the current climate where we are in this country right now and the focus that's been on police brutality and systemic racism, uh, social injustices, to really keep the focus on that. And he's expressed concern that basketball will detract from that. But I guess the, the other reason that I'm inclined to think, and again, like you said, Brian, this is pure speculation. I'm inclined to think he's not going to play because if he still has a decision to make, it makes me feel like he's leaning that way. I could end up wrong, but I just feel like at this point that if he's still deciding, yeah, I see what you're saying. Hard is telling him not to play because I mean the other the, 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 what will what will be interesting to me is like Avery Bradley has certainly given the you know him and other players and other Lakers players, like sort of the cover of not being the first on the Lakers. But the flip side is there isn't anybody to my knowledge, and please correct me if I'm wrong, as I've shown, that can happen. There isn't anybody I've seen that has made their, you know, Wilson Chandler dropped out that has made purely a focus on racial justice the reason that they're not playing. Not to the Avery best Bradley's man. primary reasoning was his, his son. son. And Dwight Howard has... The mother of one of his children died earlier in the spring, and he's been caring for this. And so he had to be away from this boy yes. who lost his mother not long ago. Yes, that's what I was referring to. Right. Exactly. And so would that be the primary reason he would go, wouldn't go, or would it be the question of focus on racial I, justice? He would be the first one through the door on that. It would be a different thing for Dwight to be sort of out in front on that kind sure. of thing. Again, I would respect it. whatever choice he makes. I respect whatever choice all of these guys make, but it would be something that would be different for Dwight. It would be, but I mean, ultimately, we're never truly going to know the, the exact reason if he, if he opts out anyway, and my guess is it's not going to be about just one One thing. or the other, yeah. I mean, especially when you, when you know that this family issue that is obviously quite serious and something that any parent would be concerned about, as long as that's there for him to be considering anyway, you know, the exact ratio will, will never really know. And I don't know if it matters. Yeah. And it, it doesn't, but it does. If he doesn't play, the Lakers can kind of, I think, mix and match. They played 20 games this year without Avery Bradley. So, I mean, it's, they're not, it's not something that, that, that is different for them. No, KCP actually played very well in the right. starting line. Alex Caruso has most of his minutes have come without Bradley on the floor and he's been great in fourth quarters. And so like, it, it's, Assuming other guys don't get hurt, I'm assuming they perform as they have, overcoming the loss of Bradley is not a massive one. Overcoming losing Dwight really does change what they do um, because yeah. Howard hasn't missed time this year of any significance. And the Lakers have a very firm and, and sort of established way that they use him and JaVale McGee together you know, throughout a game balancing Anthony Davis at the five at different parts and, and all when they want to go smaller. So to not have Dwight available, obviously you can use JaVale more than he has been, but that really does change what the Lakers do 
in terms of their size and stuff. It would be a significant loss. Yeah, I mean, they, they don't have a lot of options in terms of, the, of replicating Dwight out there. It's uh, None, really. I mean, It's more minutes for JaVale or more minutes for Anthony Davis at center, and he's going to be playing some minutes at the five. But if nothing else, we're not at a place where AD is going to resist it. It's the playoffs. He's going to do whatever Frank Vogel asks him. But Vogel used to have that flexibility in the way he would use Davis, in the way that he would uh, set up his four fives, and that's in part because right. of Dwight's presence and how well Dwight played. And the, way, and the way he can mix and match with JaVale and Dwight. Like, you know, yeah. having yes. Dwight available allows the Lakers to use McGee in the most advantageous situations possible with the most advantageous matchups. So, like, the best features of JaVale can be featured. And you can hide him against, the, you know, the, the matchups. And it's not just opposing centers. It's opposing offenses that might be able to take advantage of some of his weaknesses. And so, you know, Dwight is a different kind of defender than JaVale is. And so having that flexibility makes a big difference. It ultimately means that Markeith Morris is going to have to be a good option on the floor. And that he is not, by reputation at least, a particularly good defender. No. And 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 having Dwight there makes him better. Right. And, and, you know, he only played eight games. But in the eight games that we saw, he got off to a slow start offensively. But, you know, they're, they're going to need that versatility from Markeith Morris and, and the ability to uh, implement a few different ways. And then stop me if you've heard this before, Kuz needs to play well. If Dwight doesn't play for Frank Vogel to be able to maintain, you know, 60% of the versatility and options that he had, Kuzma has to play well. Yeah, and I just, I would, it would need, I would need some of these, like, you know, dudes who make the videos and stuff like that who are smarter and better than both of us to really break down what, lo- what specifically they lose when Dwight's not available defensively. But he's so good positionally, and he's such a strong tactical defender. Not even about the shot blocking this end, but Dwight is a really smart defender. And I know people worry about him getting pulled out on the perimeter or whatever, but as a rim protector and a, sort of a quarterback of a defense, he is incredibly valuable. And so yeah, losing that, I don't know if that makes him 25% worth, 50%, that starts to change the, the championship math a little bit because you cannot replace him. There's nobody out there. Now, especially now, maybe you can encourage DeMarcus Cousins to play, but that's still not going to fix you defensively of, of in the, the way that Dwight does. Of the list that I've seen, it's Jordan, Jordan Bell. Jordan Bell, Kenneth Fareed, who's an excellent rebounder, but not Kenneth a great Fareed, defender. A, oh, he's a terrible defender. Right. I mean, it's, it's really Jordan Bell or working with what you have in but, terms of guys with anything established in the NBA. But Kenneth Freed does have a, a fantastic nickname, which should matter. He is the manimal. <laughs> yeah, that is good. Nobody, Andy, has ever referred to me as a manimal. And no, I, it's not. one of the great regrets that I have in, in my 44 years on this planet. I am 44, right? Or am I 43 or 45? You're, I frequently lose track. You are going I think to be I'm 44. 40, yeah, you're going to be 45 uh, in September. Sweet. Looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, it doesn't get better. No, no. Everything about everything sucks. <laughs> so <laughs> the whole curse, <laughs> curse you 2020. <laughs> the whole it gets better with age. No, not <laughs> true. That is not true. You know what gets better with age? The amount that you pee if you're somebody who likes to do it a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Like if you were as a young person, if you're out there going, God, I wish I could get to a point in my life where I need to pee more, Mm -hmm. then yes, you have something to look forward to. But other than that, no. I don't know if that's TMI. I don't don't know. You know what? Honestly, I think it's so common at this point. Everybody knows. I was going to say, I think it's assumed. 
Like, I think if you put out like a poll at Cam Brothers, do you suspect I be more in my 40s than in my 30s, BK? You're going to get a high yes. By the way, I'm going to send you the most hypnotic and vaguely pornographic looking video on how fresh mozzarella is made in Italy. It is unbelievable. The last thing we want to talk about, today's news, I think it was either today or yesterday, the weekend's news that, um, and we're recording on Sunday, the NBA is going to allow players to on their jerseys express some sort of social messaging. You put Black Lives Matter on the back of your jersey, a a different charity, different organization, whatever it might be. I've seen in the EPL they've done this a little bit. I think it's a very smart step for the NBA to take. No, I I completely agree. It shows that A, the league is, if nothing else, serious about the players being serious about wanting to maintain the focus on these issues and wanting to use – the restart of the season and the playoffs, you know, as much as it is a driver of economics, and let's be honest, that is the number one reason we are doing this, there is the opportunity, if nothing else, to use it as a platform. And players have expressed interest and urgency in doing that, and the league is being helpful with them. And it, I think it, it just reflects the largely positive relationship in the NBA between ownership and labor. And as we've seen, in, you know, with the NFL and especially baseball, there's a price to pay when it's really poisonous. And it's, you know, it's honestly, it's not that long ago in the NBA where we've seen it look pretty bad. Like there have been periods in the not so distant future with the NBA. A distant past, I mean, yeah. Yes, distant past, where, where the relationship between players and ownership and frankly, David Stern was pretty bad and pretty outwardly distrustful of each other. And we're in a much better place for that. And, you know, I'm not being Pollyanna. I know there's a certain amount of inherent distrust that's always going to be there from labor to ownership. And that's not just the NBA. That's just the way industries work. But all things considered, I think this one is pretty positive and pretty copacetic. And it comes out in different ways like this one. We're in that strange space still where to some degree, symbols are a lot of what's available. This one, actually, though, in terms of a way just to keep a messaging out and keep a conversation going, I actually think is a very effective one. Like, you know, because if, if LeBron James or Anthony Davis or any other player really puts, whether it's Black Lives Matter or something else on the back of their jersey, it is going to get talked about it. And it's not the only thing you have to do, but like, I do think that is a very effective right. step in this process. There are people who will detract from anything like this as virtue signaling or politicizing it or attempting to mock it. And, and most of the people I think that would do that, and maybe not all, but many are looking for reasons to detract from it, period. But I feel like, for example, if you saw a player with, say, her name for Breonna Taylor on the right. back of his jersey, I don't know how you don't see that as powerful. I just don't. I mean, what, you know, the, the overall effect that it has in terms of the issues in some ways is an, it's an unanswerable question. If the metric you're using is playing basketball going to take away attention and focus from other things that are the obviously that more important. Clearly no. no, it shows the ways that the basketball can you use as a tool. And, and you know that these players are going to be asked after games about what was on the back of their jerseys. Like there, there's a lot that can come from that. And like you said, I think it's a smart thing for the league to be doing it. It's something that I think ultimately will reflect well on the league. And I'm glad to see it. It's a cool step. Um, we'll see which players take advantage. Presumably many of them will. 
I just think these guys are going to have so much time on their hands when they get down there because they're not allowed to do anything. I, I really do feel like the, the communication coming from players as part of the broadcast, I think is really part of the terms of, of that, getting these guys to show up there to begin with from the NBA. I am hopeful that the moment can be used very positively to help with this. I mean, because like focus is already kind of changed. Like I, I'm not, I think the idea that this distracts, it's like you might need something to kind of regenerate some, some this, conversation too. This is you something know, we're still you and a month I both, away. We both said this for a while. There, there's only so long that our collective or even worldwide focus would remain on these issues. I mean, when you look at the way we as a country lose focus and get distracted by shiny things so easily, it's frankly pretty amazing that it's managed to stay this focused for as long as it has. But at the same time, it's also happened, you know, during a period where a pandemic has forced a lot of people inside their homes, away from their jobs, you know, with the ability to protest. And that could only sustain itself for so long, especially when the country, whether you think wisely or not, there had been a lot of push to open back up. So I, I really feel, as I, as I always have felt, that the players have the opportunity to put a lot of this on their own terms mm -hmm. and to force a conversation when a lot of people are going to be watching it. I, I think it's actually a very sound strategy. So that's the news for the week. And we, we thank everybody for listening. A, I mentioned at the beginning of the show some notes. Sadly, this will be the last magic hour that will we'll be appearing uh, here at the Forum Club on The Athletic. We will not be producing the show, creating the show for The Athletic anymore. But we encourage everybody, you know, there will be Lakers podcasts and Lakers content with Bill Orem and basketball reasons. And in theory, we might still pop up on that. And our Lakers podcast, I would anticipate, Andy, as people have tried to kill us before, and it's just never worked. We're like a cat that podcasts. We're like, yes, or like the Spurs, like when people want to keep them out of the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. Like we're, like, we're just, we're really hard Although to keep Brian, out of the playoffs. Brian, this might be the year. This, year. <laughs> this might bad be the year. Um, we, we don't yeah. know. But I'm just saying, but like, you know, Are the 20 Spurs years worth of this. Brian? Yeah. <laughs> so keep an eye out. We appreciate it at everybody, the support we've been given. People have moved from one place to another as we've moved our podcast from one place to another. We anticipate that it will pop back up we hope before they start playing ball again. So that's the idea. We'll keep everybody updated. At Cam Brothers is our Twitter feed. Please, by the way, too, uh, make sure to check out the Late Night Happy Hour that we do for ESPN 710. Monday through Friday, you can find it on their social feeds, uh, Twitter, and, and, we, and, and, ours and Periscope. Well, so, and, we, we and ours that out as well. Too. And the show we do for them, the Saturday morning happy hour on 710 ESPN, 9 to 11 on Saturdays. Plus, we will be writing for The Athletic. Yep. So uh, have a great week, everyone. And that is all.